Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Firearm injuries are a leading cause of death and morbidity in the pediatric population. Despite that, there is a notable lack of research around the topic, but today we're going to be highlighting an attempt to change that. We're examining some of the impact of non-fatal pediatric firearm injuries on the healthcare system, looking at a new AEM paper entitled Non-Fatal Firearm Injuries, Utilization and Expenditures for Children Pre- and Post-Injury. Lead author Christian D. Polcini, MD, MED, MPH, is here to discuss it with us. Dr. Polcini is a pediatric emergency physician at the University of Vermont Medical Center and assistant professor of surgery and pediatrics at the University of Vermont Larner College of Medicine. He's a health services researcher focused on children with medical complexity and childhood firearm injuries with a passion for translating research into public policy, and we are thrilled to have him with us today. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Polcini, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks so much for having me. So firearm injury among children in the United States, you know, we tend to hear in the news about local fatal shootings, but I, I think that even among emergency physicians, most of us would not actually be able to quantify the number of children who are victims of firearm injury each year in the United States. So so can you give us some numbers just to, to set some background for us in terms of fatalities and non-fatal shootings? Of course. I, I would say I'd like to be happy to provide those, but I'll tell you, even as somebody who's sort of immersed in this research, uh, that every time I see these statistics, it's somewhat sobering, especially as it involves children. Uh, most of the statistics that are put out there involve kids that are 19 and younger. And some people will say that a child is not 19 years old, but I, I think from the people who have a child that's 19 years old, they still call them a child. So I'm, I'm going to call them a child. I have a child who's 19 years old and she's a child. I agree. Agree. See, I, <laughs> I absolutely agree. So in the United States, there's an average of 3,700 children, zero to 19, who on average die from a firearm injury per year. Uh, if you think about that in terms of days, that's over 10 children a day who die from a firearm injury. In 2018, there was 11,141 children. This is quoted in my uh, in the piece that we're talking about today, and, and that's 31 children per day who suffer non-fatal firearm injury. So again, 3,700 fatal, and then 11,141 in a single year. Uh, mm -hmm. Overall, that yeah, it gives us about 41 children a day that oh, are gosh. affected from firearm violence in general. Uh, and I think one thing that's important to mention as well is in our current environment, these statistics are, are two to three years old, that uh, a colleague of mine who's actually a co-author on this piece, uh, Dr. Goyle, just published a piece in, in the journal Pediatrics uh, in July 2021 that said this trend has been increasing during COVID. So we expect that these numbers will actually increase this past year uh, due to many of the you know complications and issues surrounding the pandemic, which is also just very sobering. And I, I just read that piece and it was fairly impactful oh uh, to me, at least as somebody who does this work. Oh my gosh. So that's, so that's terrible. 
Yeah, it, it is terrible. And it's interesting that you mentioned like local fatal shootings, uh, because one of the reasons I'm invested in this research is beyond me and my co-authors simply being advocates for kids is that the popular press and such tend to focus on these large scale tragic mass shootings, which do absolutely deserve the utmost attention. But firearm injuries among children are an everyday public health issue. And I think a lot of people in emergency medicine probably realize that. But you're right. I mean, the actual numbers are somewhat staggering. Yeah. And entirely preventable, which it's it's just it really does boggle the mind. So so setting aside the suffering of these children and their families, you note in your paper that despite the high incidence of of these non-fatal firearm injuries in kids, we don't know much about the associated overall healthcare utilization and costs in this population if we want to put a, a public health dollars and cents face of it. And we know even less about their health long-term and expenditure outcomes. So what previous studies have there been in this regard and what did they show? I might give you or offer a, a somewhat indirect answer, but I will say that I, I'm so thankful that a lot more researchers have focused on firearm violence in the last few years. There's been a kind of dearth of publications, especially in the last two to three years. But as you note, there's still a paucity of evidence in this area. A couple of different studies have attempted to calculate the utilization and cost for initial ED visits and hospitalizations, like Lee and colleagues uh, in the journal Surgery in 2014 and Spitzer and colleagues in the American Journal of Public Health in 2017. But that was just for the initial encounter and not a, a kind of longitudinal assessment such as we tried to, uh, to provide in this particular piece. Uh, as one would expect, they found that only taking the initial counter into account, and they actually included adults as well and children, uh, firearm injuries account for a lot of healthcare utilization and costs. It's just millions and millions in dollars. Uh, what was interesting in the composition of this piece is uh, Dr. Megan uh, Rainey, who many of you may be familiar with, uh, <laughs> published a study in the Annals of Internal Medicine looking at longitudinal costs and claims uh, through a private, uh, it was actually, uh, if I remember correctly, Blue Cross Blue Shield database while we were preparing our manuscript. And that came out while we were doing ours. And that was the first study, to my knowledge, to look at more longitudinal costs and claims after a firearm injury. Uh, as you can imagine, we were thinking in parallel with Dr. Rainey uh, and colleagues, and that's hugely important to measure beyond the initial firearm injury, because injuries, if not fatal, fatal, can be truly devastating on the physical and mental health of victims. So to answer your actual question, <laughs> to <laughs> finally arrive there, is... Uh, she, Dr. Rainey and colleagues looked at uh, six months out, and they looked at adults and children as well. It's just a much smaller sample of children than what we included, which is we felt uh, ours was sort of unique. We also used a, a public database, which I can tell you about probably in a moment. But uh, the costs for persons with index firearm injuries uh, who required hospitalizations were $41 million. Mm. And they just looked at six months before and six months after. And then six months uh the per member costs increased by 347% for those who went home from the ED. So you think those are the, like less severe injuries. And then the, for those who were admitted to the hospital, uh, the per member costs went up 2,138%. I mean, where, <laughs> what other type of injury or thing do you see a percentage increase that large? And that, that increase for those who were admitted with the more severe injuries their per member cost went from $4,000 to $92,000 per member. Uh, if you, yeah, if you extrapolate that to the total number of adults and children 
that are affected per year for firearm violence, I mean, that number becomes astronomical. And I think that was really important work that uh, Dr. Rainey and colleagues performed, obviously, and we were happy to sort of add to this picture. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your paper. So your team's overall goal was to evaluate the burden of non-fatal childhood firearm injuries on the healthcare system by comparing healthcare utilization and expenditures for this large sample of pediatric uh, firearm injury victims one year before the injury and then one year after their injury. So, so tell us a little bit about your methods and your study designs, how you went about that. We were and continue to be really fortunate to team up with the Children's Hospital Association, which is a nonprofit group that represents a lot of children's hospitals across the country. They also have a robust research sector uh, that provides statistical support. So a huge amount of credit to my co-authors, Matt Hall and Heidi Gruller D'Souza, who've kind of put up with the rest of our study team uh, in, in helping us with the analysis. The CHA, or Children's Hospital Association, has access to a variety of databases. And one of those is the Medicaid Truven database, which uh, we first came up with our research question, and then we wanted to look at what happens to children over time. And this Medicaid Truven database was the one database that was identified that could potentially do so with a somewhat robust sample size. To offer some more detail about that, we, we looked at firearm injuries util, utilizing ICD-9 and 10 codes. We looked at 2010 to 2016. We actually had the database from 2009 to 2017, but we wanted to look at one year before and one year after. So we only investigated 2010 to 2016 to fit in that window of which we had the database. We looked at subjects bo- uh, below the age of 18. And also, this is an important point, those who were enrolled in Medicaid 11 out of 12 months, they had to be continuously enrolled for that time. You know, for reasons aside from this paper, there's a lot of turnover on Medicaid. So that somewhat limited our sample uh, due to children often going in and out of Medicaid. Uh, if they had if they had another firearm injury in the previous year, we did exclude them. And then we only included in the final manuscript or main analysis powder firearm injuries as opposed to non-powder firearm injuries such as air guns and such. Okay. And so you evaluated the sample as a whole, and then you also divided them into three subgroups. So what were those subgroups and why did you divide them out that way? I think I'll answer the second part of that first. Uh, when we think about children as a whole, uh, estimates run that 80-85% of children are healthy. They don't really need a lot of healthcare. Or they don't really have a lot of healthcare utilization and costs on a year-to-year basis. They are certainly much more or cheaper, I guess, than uh, adults in comparison. And <laughs> uh, that about 15 to 20% are children with special healthcare needs. And then a, a much smaller percentage, uh, usually quoted at 1%, are, are children with medical complexity, who I know from actually my, my primary work is focused on emergency care, kids with medical complexity, that 1% of kids take up 33% of all healthcare costs on children. So we tried to mirror that in our analysis to in an attempt to like limit the outliers. So what we did is we kind of broke it down within this lens. We found a small percentage of kids with high utilization and expenditures prior to the firearm injury uh, and post-firearm injury. And further, uh, a majority of the utilization expenditures were for either mental health specifically or non-mental health expenditures. Uh, we used this interesting uh, n- like neighborhood near clustering analysis, which uh, my uh, colleague, Dr. Hall, in the paper can explain probably much better than I can, uh, but essentially broke down uh, those by the 90th percentile and above. And I think, uh, if I recall correctly, 
the high outpatient mental health expenditures were those above eight, about around $1,800 in the previous year. Again, children are pretty cheap, $1,800 in the grand scheme of things probably doesn't seem like much money. Uh, but the high non-mental health expenditures are probably those kids with medical complexity. And that was $7,000 and above. And the rest of the kids were far below that and representative of the general pediatric population. Okay. And so what other demographic information and healthcare characteristics were you collecting? We collected age, sex, race, race, ethnicity, uh, which is typical. And, and we found a majority of our sample were older male and, and African-American black. Uh, that is pretty consistent with the rest of firearm injury studies that we see. Uh, we also assessed if they were admitted to an inpatient facility versus discharge from the ED, their inpatient length of stay. Uh, and we did break this all down by intent, uh, which is something that is somewhat debated in the firearm research literature. So, for example, the paper by Dr. Rainey that I was citing before uh, actually was not organized per intent because there are some uh, questions about the accuracy of the data by intent in terms of how we actually code it. So maybe as us as emergency medicine physicians can take some responsibility for that, but uh, that the coding may be uh, somewhat inconsistent. Uh, most of what we collected here was consistent with other term, other studies in terms of demographics, disposition, and healthcare characteristics. So we felt like our sample was pretty representative. Okay. And then you, you were talking about medical complexity for these children. You're collecting data about complex chronic condition status, um, which is something specific. So what is that? And then how does that status convey the health of the child after that? Thank you for asking this. I think this is a, uh, a measure that is probably much more familiar in the pediatric literature than in the emergency medicine literature. Mm -hmm. And it's growing in the pediatric literature. So we call them CCCs, a complex chronic condition status. Uh, obviously, it's easier to say CCCs for my stumble there, who uses this <laughs> language a lot. They are defined as conditions expected to last longer than 12 months. They involve more than one organ system and have high healthcare expected utilization. This was kind of like an ICD-9, originally now translated ICD-10, a grouper created by uh, Chris Futner, who's at my former institution at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. They're, they're a set of diagnosis codes which can be applied to large data sets. So we, we kind of use this as a proxy to predict long-term disability, chronic condition status in children. We use it for a lot of other purposes. But for example, a child with like short gut from a firearm injury or a permanent neurologic disability would probably be picked up on on this grouper. Uh, and that's what we were trying to portray. And that's why we included it. This is actually my personal primary area of research and was my inspiration, to be honest, to begin investigating firearm injuries. That's a bit of a much longer story, but I saw a lot of kids with permanent disability due to firearm injuries and in previous uh, training and experience. Uh, but to my knowledge, this is the first use of this measure of long-term disability after firearm injury in kids. And in our particular study, you may have seen that we found that over 100 children had expected long-term disability or chronic condition after their firearm injury, which was st uh, statistically significant in our sample. And I think that's really a really impactful message to convey that not only are kids, one, uh, suffering firearm injuries on a daily basis, but two, they're suffering long-term disability. And the implications of that has never been measured. Uh, we are just scratching the surface in terms of what that actually means. But I think it, in terms of conveying the overall message of the impact on kids, this was something that was unique to our study that uh, I was particularly happy that we could kind of pull off. 
Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the rest of your results. What did you find regarding healthcare utilization overall and in your subgroups? I guess what else should you find? Yeah. A majority of our sample, as alluded to above, were healthy children. So about 1,500 out of 1,800 were, were healthy kids. Uh, these children that were healthy before had significant increases in outpatient and inpatient healthcare utilization, uh, notably with zero inpatient visits the year prior and 545 the year after. The high mental health prior expenditure group, uh, which was the second largest group at 179 children, so much smaller than the healthy group, uh, decreased in health encounters overall, a lot less outpatient, uh, but had more inpatient encounters. And I, w- I will tell you, because usually I get the follow-up question, how the, why the heck did they have less outpatient encounters the year after a fire emergency? That makes no sense at all. <laughs> And uh, in a separate analysis, and actually something that was already published in the American Journal of uh, Preventive Medicine, uh, we found that their mental health visits statistically uh, significant decrease in them the year after a firearm injury, which just raises a whole bunch of questions on its own of why that would occur. Like why kids who just suffered a trauma of a firearm injury are getting less mental health care than the year before. But that is something that we're sort of investigating when I referenced our, our ongoing relationship with the Children's Hospital Association. Yeah. And then for the non-mental, the high non-mental health prior expenditure group uh, was 123 of our subjects, and there was no significant change, either increase or decrease in outpatient or inpatient healthcare utilization. Okay. So how about regarding um, expenditure? I, I think exactly what you'd expect. It parallels the utilization. Overall, there was a statistically significant increase of $16.6 million in this sample. And if you think about it, it was only 1,821 kids, uh, $16.6 million. That's That can be extrapolated out to the number of firearm injuries per year. It's a lot of money. Uh, a large majority of this, by the way, was for inpatient care uh, and among those who were previously healthy. Okay. Actually, let's talk about how we can think about extrapolating this to the population as a whole. So you noted that this this representative sample of children on Medicaid is about a sixth of the total number of children um, who suffer from non-fatal firearm injuries in a year. Um, but but it is difficult to extrapolate this to a population as, as a whole. So why explain why that is, and then what studies would need to come next to help fill that picture in. I, I think we certainly had some limitations in our study. As I mentioned above, we're kind of scratching the surface with this uh, as one of the first studies to really undertake uh, looking at the longitudinal utilization and costs or expenditures of healthcare after firearm injury. So one of the largest that we believe we caused us to underestimate the utilization expenditures of initial non-fatal firearm injuries Our criteria specified that children need to be enrolled for almost the full year after the injury in Medicaid. Uh, therefore, we, we could not account for more severe injuries when the child, they may have survived initially, but then died later in that year. So you can imagine mm-hmm. those are very severe injuries that are unaccounted for in our particular analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Medicaid Truven database, we have no information on location of the children, like which states they live in. Uh, it's supposed to be collected from multiple states over several years, and sometimes the states participate and don't. So you can see how that can pose some challenges. We know that mm-hmm. we followed the same children over time, but we actually don't know geographically where they're from. So it makes it a little hard to extrapolate to the overall population because if they were all urban, it's hard to say that this is representative of what happens in more rural places like me up in Vermont. 
Overall, though, I, we, we thought that our sample does align well with what we know about children who suffer firearm injury, uh, as well as expected childhood characteristics that I kind of explained before. Uh, but some of our limitations just it makes it hard to make that jump and say that this absolutely is generalizable to the rest of the population. As, as a follow-up, any longitudinal study which can examine factors we were, able, we were not able to account for. So parent missed work days, permanent disability, non-fatal than fatal injuries, pain and suffering are just some of the few that we were unable uh, to, to measure in our study. And, and part of the issue, as you probably know, is that these types of studies are costly and would need significant support to conduct, which is sometimes hard to come by when you're doing firearm injury research. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the climate is improving for research funding on this topic as there's been a few grant announcements on a more federal level through the CDC notably, but uh, it's nowhere near like wh- where the funding level is nowhere near expected when compared to the morbidity, morbidity and mortality, which results from firearm injuries as compared to other, other injuries for, per se. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just overall, what would you like us to take away from this study? And then where are you going next with this? I think the most important things to take away is that firearm injuries occur every day among children. And our group through this study shed some important light that they're medically and economically devastating for children and our society as a whole. Also, I would want people to take away, although I'm, I'm very proud of what we found in this study and I'm proud for us taking a leap and doing some unique measures such as the disability measure, uh, we're just scratching the surface in terms of our ability to measure the true impact of firearm injuries on such things as life course of a child uh, who's lucky enough to survive these injuries. Uh, in addition to the impact on their family uh, is is just needs to be measured more accurately uh, and probably on an individual level. Uh, we still have a lot of work ahead of us as researchers, public health professionals, you know, clinicians, physicians, to attempt to mitigate this uh, public health crisis. But our our group is you know certainly honored to get our work out there to help advocate for children in a forum like this. So I, I just wanted to I hope that this study is impactful for others as well. And uh, thank you so much for for bringing attention to this work that we can hopefully move forward together in in mitigating firearm injury among children. Thank you so much for your work. I think it's really very illuminating and um, we really look forward to seeing more about it from your group. So thanks again for coming and talking with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.